morning. Welcome to the Inglorious Bastards. A good morning to you as well, Bruce. Season 14, episode 8. From as Brother I, Raj. As I correctly noted earlier today, I'll bring that in just a little bit. There we go. That, there we go. Now we're looking good. As always. So we're looking at a pretty miserable year on the football front, college and pro. <laughs> Great weekend. Do we have to open with football? <laughs> we don't. Let's let's close with football right there. Tennessee lost, the Broncos lost, the Patriots lost, everyone lost, except for those that won on other teams. And I saw with your loss after the miraculous Hail Mary, then they had the two-point conversion where it looked like your receiver got mugged as he was attempting to catch the ball. Well, but... I don't even, yeah, I mean, I mean the, the tip drill, Hail Mary, that whole thing was hilarious. How that even, how that even happens in the pros? Washington did not handle that no, well. With all the training that they should hey, have. Hey, let's see if we can team. try and catch it. Let's boink it up, <laughs> right. which is exactly what the other team wants. Right. Let's do, let's try juggling right now. Right. So, yeah, there's that. No, I'd rather talk about other things. Well, what about if we talked about a winning team like Colorado? Yeah, interesting. They did a whole 60-minute special on Deion Sanders Sunday night. Really? Yeah. Did you watch it? No. Okay. But I just knew it was a big deal. It's kind of the funnest the funnest story in college football, maybe in all of football right now. Now, here was an interesting, I saw, and I haven't tracked, but his son showed her, I think, um, Sanders. Well, someone just making the observation, you know, he's been playing at historically backed college university. Mm -hmm. Right. It's not like he magically overnight turned into a great player, but he wasn't getting any coverage. This interesting thing about yep. small colleges, HBCUs, um, that almost where, yeah, is, there's a bias toward big names and the big name schools, yep. and this is where your talent's going to be. It was just that interesting thing that, oh, he's the same player. Yeah. Several of these players on this Colorado team that came from HBCU um, University, that they're very, very talented, but it took getting to a Power Five conference right. before anyone's paying attention. And that's part of what makes the story so interesting. I was listening to Dan Mullen talk about him. Okay. He said his transition from FCS to division one fbs football is pretty extraordinary his quarterback play and he showed the difference it's not just his ability to throw the ball it's his reads yes it's his looking at multiple receivers and finding the right one he said he's just really a smart quarterback and then when you're throwing an average of 450 yards a game <laughs> average of 450 yards a game it's extraordinary and then his other son plays both sides of the ball yes which is just nuts. So defense and offense, he's on the field, you know, right. 90% of the time. I'm like, good night. That, there's so many stories woven into that story. Even with your, you know, starting your son as your quarterback, right. you have a strong belief system in him, but that's a lot of pressure for the son. And he has just stepped up and walked right into that. Yeah. Very prime time, like his papa. Who was also a two-way player. I mean. That's right. Right. Because <laughs> he, he could do receiver. He could do cornerback. And baseball. Oh, I forgot about that. He did football, baseball. Michael Jordan did baseball too. 
Well, someone asked Sanders the other day, I don't know if it was in that interview, um, because I saw someone asked, um, playing football, coaching football, playing baseball, which was the hardest? He said, hitting a baseball. Easy. Hitting a baseball it. is the hardest thing yep. of all those things. Yeah. I have a hard time hitting a stationary golf ball. I can't imagine a ball coming at me at 100 miles an hour, and I'm supposed to hit it. Remember you and me in softball? Yes. <laughs> I mean, okay, the ball is being lobbed. Lobbed Where? with a lot of arch. Where? Slowly. How can you strike out slow as often as I did in slow pitch softball? Because <laughs> our father was a baseball fan, but not a baseball coach. So I remember the year, this is like I was in ninth grade. No, 10th grade, David was a senior. So we tried out for the Tennessee Temple High School baseball, baseball. team. <laughs> this, I'm sorry, I can already tell I'm gonna be laughing so a lot. So the first cut, there was only two people cut. <laughs> the two people who couldn't David get Martin a lot of Well, and the guys that ducked when the ball came at him. You know, it was like. All right, Bruce, we're put you at first pace. <laughs> that ball <laughs> coming into. When, when the coach used the word, hey, let's warm him up. <laughs> I just knew this is going to be bad. This is not going to be good. So, yeah, we just. I remember the church softball games where. Oh. The they were humiliated. We're out in the field and I'm like, please don't hit it to me. Please don't hit it to me. Whatever else happens, don't. And then the ball sails up in the air. And I know this is, I'm looking around for anybody. I'm like, no, this is mine. I, and now I'm in a semi-panic mode. And so I'm trying to gauge it in the sky. And I put my glove up and, and it, it falls, falls helplessly to the ground behind 18 me. feet right. behind you. It's like, it was just bad. And then you're running after the ball because you knew that was not the thing to do. And everyone's already, and nope. then you overthrow second base and it now rolls. Think about it. There was nothing with softball nope. that we were good at. F fielding nope. hoppers? Nope. Uh, grounders? No, nope. that nope. was they not. They said put your body in front of it. I'm like, that's just asking for a mark. I don't want, you know, a scar somewhere. These teeth right here, do I want to, do I want to risk these? No. no. I'm going to put a hand in front of my midsection and my face when that grounder is coming. Down. I also remember trying out like in ninth grade or maybe 10th grade for the, the I, basketball team. No, wait, I was sorry. It was so ballsy of you to, to try out for the baseball team. I mean, that's just. I don't know what David and I were thinking. David, I think, talked it, me into it. No, that's. That's the stuff that great comedy is made of but i cut myself before the cuts ever happened in the in the basketball i just remember <laughs> you like, just knew it was coming listen coach i'm going to save you the trouble i'm cutting myself no it must have been ninth grade because walt bowen was coaching so i think he was the he was the jv coach or the okay junior, junior high coach okay. but anyway i remember like he was doing this one drill where you're you're just man on man guarding a guy that's, and and i've apparently got my hands all over him because i'm used to playing one-on-one -on -one like we did at our house and it's like you just you're just holding on to you're him you're playing football baby you're playing football <laughs> and if they go up you're grabbing whatever and i remember walt ball was like hey bruce you're like what is he called you're tackling him you can't you can't do that it's funny the moments that we remember from childhood but i remember that moment and i remember going yeah, i don't think i'm gonna try it for basketball i think the other thing, when they would do any drills with more than two people, I would just get lost. Where's the ball? Where do I throw it? I've told you for years, team basketball, when you have five on five, I'm like, right. I'm just lost.
No, you're talking about the traumatic memories. Of all the things, so many things I don't remember, I have this recollection of we're in PE, physical education class, um, and they're going to be a drill. And it might have been Walt Boehm, I don't know, but there, but it's going to be a simple thing, right? We're just going to, there's a basketball goal down there. We're going to start on the other end. You're going to dribble down and make a layup oh. and come back to your team, tag, and then the next one, you know, and I'm watching everybody and... And they're, you know, they're just going down there like gazelles and just, and then they're laying that ball up up. and then it comes to me. (laughs) I did the same thing. I know what you're going to say. So so now it's just Roger erratically chasing the ball, (laughs) trying to, oh my gosh. Desperately not to let it go out of bounds on a drill. But I stop it from going out of bounds. But now it's, now it's that layup, (laughs) which, you know. You should just be able to float out there. And I'm bricking it. No, I remember because we played at home on a, on a, on a, we had the asphalt court and then we had we a did. basketball goal that had a metal backboard, but it had a lot of give in it. So the board would move like that. Yes. So you could just slam it in there and it would fall limply into the, into the basket. Well, you go to lay Not up on glass and I, w- I laid it up there just like I would at home and it shot eight feet backwards past the, the foul line. <laughs> like, I'm like that was not supposed to happen. So people on my team are back there, they're cringing. They're taking naps. And the only thing worse is when you did it in a game because I remember doing it once in a game at one of the Rice family reunions when we were playing at the Franklin Robe. Oh yeah, I got the ball. It was loose on a, on a fast break. I'm, it's only me in the basket. I mean, no one's around, and I managed to keep the ball inbounds. Good. And then I go up for the layup. Same thing. Bing, boom, and it just shoots. I'm like. How does anyone get used to glass? It's that's so firm and yes, springy. Kissing it off the glass is an art. Well, I, I was later learned to do that. But. Well, and I well, I just went to where you just lay it into the basket. You just take the backboard out of play. <laughs> right. Just I'm tall enough. I'm I can get it to the basket and just let it fall. But <laughs> Lord have mercy. <laughs> so what's are we? We're we talking uh, blue zones today. Uh, Blue zones can work. I know you've got a funeral later today, and I had a funeral on Monday. <laughs> so it was interesting that in this parallel universe that you and I live in, that we both have those in the same yeah in the same week. But one of the things that I shared at this funeral, and I've never done this before, but it just struck me. The this way was that, a couple of days ago, right? Yeah. A couple of days ago, Monday this week. That it struck <laughs> me that we often look at funerals as this final thing, and there is, you know, mourning and there is sorrow associated with that. But I realized and I, and I talked about it as though this we're, we're here to celebrate this chapter of this person's life. But the book is still being written. And I went back to um, John 11, you know, the resurrection of Lazarus. And I love when Jesus said when the when the sisters sent to Jesus, hey, the one you love is sick. He said this sickness will not end in death. And everyone thought he meant. He's going to go raise him. I mean, he's going to go heal him. Right. You know, it's not, he's not going to die. But then later on, Jesus plainly tells his disciples, no, he's, he's died, but he's sleeping, but I'm going to go wake him up. And of course their thought was, well, if he's sleeping, that'll be good. Rest is good. Okay, He'll get better. Don't wake him up. And Jesus is like, no, he's dead. And I just, and I'm imagining myself in that sound of thinking, yep, Jesus is crazy. Yep. It's. We've thought this for a long time. It's he's certifiable. Now. He's now can bring it. But I just love the fact that the sickness will not end in death. And that was kind of the theme 
for the for the follower of Jesus Christ, you know, death is is just the beginning of a new chapter because Jesus goes on to say, whoever believes in me, even though he dies, yet will he live. And it's like chapter two begins. <clears throat> and it's interesting, another way of looking at it that has been on my heart that I tried to share points with people is um, what Jesus taught, even when we talk about heaven coming to earth, mm -hmm. there are two stories going on. The story we're in right now is the micro story, mm -hmm. but it's inside a much larger story. Right. And I think about the difference if, if you believe, and this is critical, if you believe the earth is all there is, if, as Carl Sagan, the material world is all there is, was, ever will be, um, <clears throat> then it's a belief that we're only, there's only one story. But Jesus introduces another story that we're inside a much larger. And so the big story puts this story in context. This, this, the end of this story, you're still in a larger story. Mm -hmm. And if you believe in the larger story, and then it, so it's the issue of, are we living in light in this story we're in right now? Are we living in light of the larger story? Um, this God that we're created, that we were made for forever, that we're made to enjoy each other. We're made to enjoy God. We're made to enjoy, um, if we're not doing that, it, we can get so caught up in this world I'm trying to get the most out of because we've falsely believed this tiny story is the only story. And isn't that one of the beautiful things about the Bible? You know, just reading again this morning, it reminds <laughs> me that I'm a part of a larger story because I'm I'm, yes. I'm beginning in Matthew and where John the Baptist begins preaching in chapter three and he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. It's at hand. And I realize, hey, I'm part of that. I'm part of that story. I was even thinking this morning, okay. not, not yeah. the exact same words, but. I'm living in that kingdom that that John the Baptist announced and that Jesus Christ brought into being. And I'm like, yes, good. Point. I'm in that larger story. And so when I pray in the mornings, you know, and I pray through the Lord's Prayer as part of my larger prayers every morning now. But it is that your kingdom come, your will be done. And then I'm, I'm praying that I will be that, that my agenda will line up with the agenda of God, the, the kingdom, his work in the world. And it does it. It allows us. And this this is where it does attach to um living in the blue zones how how important purpose is i can't remember the word for that first the, yeah the um okinawan culture mm -hmm. but they had a, a word basically basically for purpose or mission and yep. it was something beyond yourself <laughs> even one guy that was that was creating musical instruments he said my art will live hundreds of years beyond me this musical instrument will go and the, but he had a sense of purpose i want to live in that a larger story. Yes. That that's beyond my story. Right. And that's fascinating because the reality is there is a larger story and it's why we need to connect with that larger story. Purpose is desire to connect with something larger than myself. Yes. Something and we'll say that. We want something that lives beyond. We want something that's bigger and it flows out of the reality of we're made from a God who's never not existed. We were made to never die. We were made to enjoy God forever. We're made so we do have a purpose. And I think this is the tragedy of the, this is the only story. 
because people pick up immediately. If this is the only story, there really is nothing to, I mean, there's nothing bigger. The best I can do is something that lives beyond me that my memory or something I invented or created or some way I served. I can leave a legacy. I leave That's a little bit of legacy used a, used a lot. But Jesus introduces treasure in heaven. In other words, but he's talking about you're part of a larger story. You're investing in a larger story. Um, it's never just about you. Even in those moments where we think that's what we want. No. So, so having purpose, have some, even have something that explains this story that gives a context to good word. Yeah. Yeah. Why I'm, and, and why does, I'm here, why it, I wake up. It does provoke a different kind of living because you're living <laughs> in light of a larger story. Um, reading in Hebrews this week and, and attached to this, don't, don't stop getting together. Yes. I, I, what I didn't notice because it's on two different pages, like this, this part of the chapter ends this, and it's the next page. And the next page starts with don't, don't stop gathering together as some have gotten in the habit of doing. Right. But the verse right before that is spur one another on to love and good works. And I'm like, yeah. Oh, those, those two things are connected. In other words, we're supposed to be reminding others. It's part of the even gathering. We're reminding right. others that, Hey, we're part, don't forget. We're part of a larger story. So love and good works uh, are making a difference in the world. Being the light of the world, that's that does give us tremendous, and it helps us get through, I realize, so much hardship and difficulty. In other words, if this life was all there is, I can understand a person throwing up their hands. Right. Too much difficulty, too much hardship, too much pain, too much. And then, like Paul said, if this is all there is, if there is no resurrection, then eat, drink, and be merry. Do everything you can to make life. If there is happy. no resurrection, there I mean there's no second there's no story. story. No there's second no larger story. story. This this is the only story. So if this is the only story, you want to squeeze every little bit you can out of this story, and that's actually what Jesus says. Don't do. It's why he can rest. It's <laughs> why he can <clears throat> give away. It's why any one of us. We can give, we can serve, we can give up power and control because we're living in a larger story. We, we're free right. that I don't have to hold on to, and even my life, I don't have to desperately try um, to live longer or, because I already, already realize I'm in a much larger story so I can have the freedom. It's a, funny, it's the freedom to enjoy this story more because it isn't the only story. It's not like right. I have to squeeze everything out or I've got to get my own or because the only all these lies that, you know, who ever dies with the most toys is, is that's a that's a single story thinking. Whoever dies with those toys wins. Well, where Jesus is saying, oh, no, no, whoever is storing up the most treasure and have that that's the win. You're 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 living your life in light of the larger story. Um, I think it's one of the reasons why the Apostle Paul would talk about keep your eyes on things above and not just things of the earth. In other words, right. oh yeah, living in this story requires, in a healthy way, requires seeing the larger story, which just allows me to live more freely, more joyfully. Um, because even if this story is hard and difficult and painful, 
as it so often is, um, I realize, yeah, if I see it in light of the larger story, I'm loved. Um, I'm always going to have community with the father. Um, yeah, this life is not all there is. Yeah, and it does. It does free us to uh, to invest our life. And it free because it frees you from fear. You know, I've yes. said for years when I look at the parable of the miners or the parable of the talents, the only way you can go wrong is to do nothing. To to bury the talent, to to hide the mine away in a piece of cloth. And so it's like, no, everything that I do potentially matters. And some of that is just being intentional about you know, I was praying that this morning on my way and I want to be in, I don't want to bury my talent. I don't want to, I want to mm. be, I want to do, I want to be about your work. I want to be doing, living intentionally. Uh, I was talking with a client yesterday, just the, that never talking about intentionality and that, that scripture passage that teach us to number our days that we might live rightly. Mm. And I'm like, yeah, it reminded me of a Marcus Aurelius quote that someone said to me like 10 years ago or so, but it was like, do not act as though you had a thousand years to live. I'm like, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Because um, sometimes I can get into a, a little bit of a pattern of what I would just call unintentional living. You know, and in some ways, uh, I told folks, there's been parts of my life where I look at it, I'm like, I was sort of unintentionally successful <laughs> versus a versus having a great master plan. You know, most of my life has been unintentionally successful. Actually, right. where I made took great pains to try and be successful or noticed or discovered God's purpose prevailed, right? We're, we're grand failures. Uh -huh. <laughs> and my ordinary life has turned out to be far more rewarding um, and satisfying in ways than maybe certain things I tried to pursue at times or wanting to be very successful or known or <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. The other the other thing that I came because I was thinking about you the whole, we watched Marlene and I watched the first of the Life in the Blue Zones last night first episode, right? So this is a Netflix series yep. for context. Uh, Dan Butner, a guy who's done research on Blue Zones, areas of the world, pockets, villages, or places, neighborhoods where people live to be a hundred years or more at a much higher rate than the normal population. So like twenty percent of uh, per 100,000 people to 80%. Like when she was, when he was looking at Okinawa, it was like 80% are having, have this per, per capita living beyond up to or beyond 100. And I'm like, that's just. So he did this research, ended up writing a book, but then this Netflix series where he goes um, to these four or five different places around the world, fascinatingly, even, even as place in the United States, believe it or not, these different places. Um, and I found watching that absolutely fascinating, not so much because I'm, oh, I've got to live a hundred years. In fact, fascinatingly, one of the observations he makes at some point is, well, these people aren't trying to exactly. live alone. They're, they're and not I, even, that's not even, that's not the I point. Think that's part of the, okay. So, th so think about the stress you could create if you're trying to live a long life, you know, and it's that, okay, I've got to do this and this and this, but then you cannot enjoy you just sense that there was an ease to their life and a hardship at the same time. Right. But one of the, because the, I've only seen one episode so far, but even that first lady that they talked to, the hundred and something, 103 year old grandmother, but she said, laugh a lot. Right. And I thought about you and I, and I'm like, yeah, Roger and I got that part right. We're, <laughs> we, 
we may laugh at inconsequential, silly, inane things, but we do laugh a lot. And when we get together, we laugh a lot. And sometimes our wives are just sort of looking at us like, I know you guys are getting tremendous joy from that, but we don't even understand what you're talking about. We are laughter creators. Our parents, oh, when our you, parents you and I get and together, shake, shake their but they laugh. They do get, yeah. I, it's fun to see mom now in different times. She'll just get tickled. You and I'll be in there talking about something, but when she gets tickled, she'll just be. Yeah, she does it. And she's like this. I could not, <laughs> I could not have spawned this, <laughs> which is a great term. Yeah, we got a big family get together this weekend. I hope you know about that. I know sometimes you get left out. I was at the one a week ago Sunday. Yes, I saw the pictures. I was in the Holy Land. Yes, and I was with a holy moment with my parents. Again, I was in the Holy <laughs> Land. You know, I just live life around people and not places. Seven time zones that way. <laughs> Which takes a bit of time to unjet lag from that, by the way, because like you're going to bed at eight o'clock and it's like two o'clock in the morning on your body clock. So you've been tired since about noon. <laughs> Sleepy anyway. But funny, like in the blue zones thing, one of the things that he ends up talking or, or is community. Yeah. And you'll see more as you go through the series. This shows up in some fascinating ways, even with. Um, children and elderly parents and, but even the, as people are aging, not just family, but friends and how significant yeah, that thing, the Moyai, but it was this idea of a community that's pooling resources to care for another. Yes. But that's what I, that's, that was right. I thought about the connection <clears throat> to Hebrews about spur one another on to love and good works. I'm like, that is in the context of community. Right. You know, she talked about just managing her garden, how boring it was. But then she started expanding her circle of walk to all these other people in her community and then invited them into this, I think it's Moyai. It's an interesting term. But it was this idea of a community that's pooling resources to help others in their community. I'm like, man, that's, that is living beyond yourself at a very basic level. And it raises for me maybe another layer to the brilliance of God when you think about the church. If we think about the church as this religious institution, that it's this just this Saturday or Sunday gathering point. But Jesus, even though he walks with the disciples in community, he's modeling early on and they're doing life together. They're doing it in the yep. hard places and the and the fun, but they're going to weddings and there's joy. But then there's also hard. There's there's walking with sick and hungry people and there's. Um, but if we see this vision of the church as one other way, God's trying to save us where there's a community, even where possibly family might fail us, where a community might turn on us, yeah. where because of failings or whatever, but this idea that there's going to be this group of people that love each other by this will all men know that you and my disciples, how you love each other, that 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 if we think of church as something, when I think about the the impact, it's not just somehow Bible studies or sitting in services and listening, but I'm talking about the places in the Christian community where we're opened up our lives, we've served together, we've we've done work through hard things where 
And then there's this blessing or this reward, because it's the funny thing that I that was one of my observations from the Blue Zones is had this super funny conversation, even this last weekend at this my wife's family family reunion. But one of these gals who had watched this Blue Zone um, and she was just talking comically about even wanting to find an answer to living a long life um, that was easy, that didn't involve, that I could do on my own. I can fix meals, I can find the right food, I can do a regimen. And it dawned on me, it's because community is messy. It's hard, it takes time. People are screwy um, and people get old and and now they need more help and life, it's less convenient. But if there was anything I'm picking up sort of in, this, in one of this blue zone themes that he doesn't really hit on is actually hardship often leads to health. And That's a great point. easiness. This American desire or modern desire to make everything easy, easier doesn't lead to healthier. Whether it's we got to have cars instead of walking, we got to have fast food instead of fixing meals and eat, fixing meals together. We have to sit in chairs instead of sitting on the floor. Where we're just okay. That was an odd one. <laughs> oh, just, it was just uh, the Okinawans. They're, they're basically yes. he talked about how strong their core was because they're sitting on the floor and these. 100-year-old people are standing up from zero yep. to however tall they are. And I'm like, yeah, we don't. And in Jesus' day, that's what they. We slide off chairs. And right. We even have our beds high so we can just sort of roll off them. So we want to make everything easier, but actually that doesn't make us healthier. So the good news is if you're, if you're feeling like your life is hard, slow down before asking God to make it easier because that hardship may be making you healthier. Hardship more leads to greater core.